the Financial Sense Lifetime Planning Program. Now, here's the Financial Sense News Team. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Lifetime Planning. I am Aaron Wiegman, and with me is Crystal Colbert. You know, it's 2023. We're already a couple months into it. Surprise, surprise, we're in March. Um, And I know the beginning of the year always winds up being everyone has their financial resolutions. Maybe not their financial resolutions, but there's always a health and fitness resolution. Um, I probably... I don't know, myself, I probably didn't do that uh, very well to start out the year. But you know what? It's March. New leaf on the uh, the health side of things. But uh, the financial health is always something to be considering there, too. I mean, as everyone has their new way of prioritizing and doing things. And of course, it's tax season. So that kind of always winds up being top of mind. You're getting all those year-end statements. And so for 2023... It's a good time to promote your financial health um, because I think financial health does actually promote your emotional well-being and emotional health as well. So today's topic is really going to be about uh, what we can do to prioritize, maybe a little bit of a checklist of things to consider, stuff that maybe you haven't been considering or have been, uh, you know, pushed down, I guess, on your priority list uh, in the past year, but maybe it's time to, to push that back up. So how will we get going on things? What do you think, Crystal? Absolutely. Yes. So Aaron put together this awesome checklist to start out the new year. And I think one of the biggest things is to just kind of set goals for yourself, whether it be short-term, long-term goals, anything that you can just get accomplished. Because like you said, it does lead into, you know, financial health leads into emotional health. And so Aaron, do you want to kind of talk about like the differences between the short-term goals versus the long-term goals and what you do? Yeah, I guess when you wind up looking at goal setting, it doesn't have to be something big, hairy, audacious goals, right? You know, you don't have to necessarily look at retirement in 20, 30, 40 years or whatever your timeline winds up being and saying, you know, well, that seems so far off. So what I always find is a really, I guess, a little bit more palatable for clients is to set those shorter term goals, you know, and whether that be okay, this year in 2023, I plan on saving X amount of dollars, or I have some debt outstanding, I plan on paying that down by so much, or just kind of looking at this checklist and just saying, these are some of the things I absolutely need to knock out. So I guess that's kind of more the point of today is to just kind of see what those realistic things are that we could have on that checklist and see if we can knock out as many as possible, because you can't, you can't do it all at once, right? So it's little baby steps, one bite of the elephants at a time and see what we can do to proactively affect our finances for the year. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think one of the best short-term goals or one of the first goals that I always like to accomplish in the beginning of the year is actually putting together a budget. And I know it's me and just nerding out. And I talked to my little brother the other day and my sister, and they both don't have a budget. And I told my little brother, I was like, Hey, you need to put a budget together. He's like, no, 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 I don't need a budget. But I think it's really important to see where you're spending things and what you're spending on. And then also see if you can actually make a line item of, okay, I want to save this much per month. And for me, I always do that. And I always pay myself first as if it's like a bill. So I don't know how you do it, Aaron, but is that something that you put together every year? Because I know I nerd out and the first thing I do is put together my budget. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's really good to like, just kind of look back on, I guess, what your income has been for the last year, what that cash flow really looks like, because you don't really know how much you can save and spend if you don't really know what your cash flow is. 
So, you know, maybe maybe you wound up getting that raise coming into the beginning of the year. Did your spending increase over the last year because you're able to go do some more things? Are you spending too much on DoorDash? You know, sometimes you don't necessarily know like what what it is that you're spending a lot of money on unless you really investigate what that looks like. And of course, inflation has been a thing. I don't know if you've been affected by that, but that's been a a thing where uh, everyone's expenses are getting that much uh, greater. So one nice thing is to just kind of look, look back I personally, I use Mint uh, because it gets a little bit granular on what it is that you are spending and you can you can set different goals or budgetary items to see like how much it is that you're spending in there. And of course, like within our financial planning software, uh, within Right Capital, we have some of those same kind of like budgetary things where you can kind of connect all of your accounts, your credit cards, things of that sort. Um, what is nice, like if you do spend in one like particular credit card or something like that, sometimes they might you know, give you kind of a breakdown at the end of the year of how much money it is that you spent in all these different categories. So I always like to, to look at that, but then set a date each month, whether it be like the first Saturday of the month or something like that. So you can at least go back and look at what your spending had been. Because a lot, of, I would say that winds up, I don't know about you, Crystal, but that winds up being kind of a big pain point for clients to figure out what I am actually spending and what I really have in my pocket to be saving going forward. Exactly. Yeah. Because sometimes, I mean, the nice thing about Mint and Right Capital is it actually is way more realistic as far as putting together a budget or what you're actually spending your money on. Because sometimes you set a goal for, say, I want to spend, you know, spending money, I give myself $500 a month. And then you look at, you know, your Mint and your right capital transaction. You're like, oops, spent $700. Like it's nice to set a goal. but <laughs> What just came up this month? Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. And there's always those surprises. So sometimes it's actually nice to use that instead of, you know, what you actually put together, because that might be more of a goal of what you want to spend. But realistically, it's nice to see in right capital or mint what you're actually realistic. And maybe you average that out over a few months so that you get a little bit more realistic picture in what the average winds up being. So you're not, you're not completely thrown off. Absolutely. Yes. And I think, you know, one of those obviously line items and one of these goals is, you know, tackling debt. If you have debt or student loans, car payments, whatever that case may be, personal loans. I think that that's obviously one of the things that's always going to be on your budget. And I think it's definitely something that we have to talk about as far as, you know, if you have debt, how do you start paying it off and what do you start out with first? Certainly. Because if you know your cash flow, then it's a matter of like, how do I wind up applying said cash flow? Right. Mm-hmm. And one of those ways is uh, just using the bank in one of two ways. Either I'm paying them interest or I'm receiving interest because I have uh, you know some sort of savings there. So the tackling debt is huge, especially when we're in this time where there's rising interest rates, uh, that those debts are becoming that much more expensive if we have those outstanding. So is it good debt? Is it bad debt? Is it credit cards? Is it school loans? Is it cars? So when you look at that, with the rising interest rate, can we consolidate some of those debts? You know, maybe there are school loans, Uh, you know, school loans is a different kind of a a situation right now, but maybe it's credit cards where you can wind up getting to a lower interest rate for like an introductory period or something like that, but just at least having a plan where you can wind up getting that stuff paid off, you know, making extra payments to those highest interest rates, uh, credit cards or or car loans or something like that. Um, But school loans, do you want to address that a little bit? Because that's, that's kind of a little, that's a different one altogether just because of the recent legislation. Yeah. And it's something that I've been following a lot lately. Obviously I still have a minimal amount of student loans and so it's something that I watch and I only have federal right now, but that's just me. But it is something to take into account because since COVID broke out, 
the government came out with basically putting a pause on student loan or federal student loans, not private student loans, but federal student loans, where they set the interest rate at 0%. And ever since, you know, 2020, it's been paused and set at 0%. So people have been able to prioritize paying other debt or paying other debt down or saving those funds that they should have been using to pay off their student loans and putting it, you know, investing it or putting it, like you said, in a high yield savings account so it could compound and actually earn something. And But, you know, it's coming down to the wire where right now they're all going under legislation right now. They're at the courts right now fighting because some obviously parties want the student loan debt to be wiped out up to 10,000 or 10 to 20,000, depending on what type of student loans that you have. But some parties don't want that to actually occur because they think that if you took out student loans, you should be repaying it. Responsible for them. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things, so they are talking about how latest that they would take the pause off would be June 30th is like that I guess magic date that they have in mind. Date, kind of, yeah. Yeah, and so if they don't solve or settle this legislation by then, there's a 60 day window period before students have to actually start paying that debt back. So around yeah. the September timeframe is when people are going to have to start paying those student loans back. And I think it's best to kind of set in your mind that they're not going to win, um, just in case, because you know you'd rather be pleasantly surprised than you know upset that you know those those payments are going to come back. So it is something to start preparing for. And I know, Aaron, you talked about like maybe opening up a high yield savings account so you can get some of that interest accrued and then start paying when the time comes, whatever you're I, Yeah. So I guess it kind of comes down to if you are going to prepare yourself for that kind of a payment already in your mind and how you're putting that into to play, maybe you make that same payment of sorts into some sort of a savings account or make that same sort of payment towards one of your higher interest rate debts that you can do so that you can just allocate that. Don't necessarily just spend that money. Get your budget prepared for having to pay that student loan back at some point in time in the future, whenever they figure that part out. Absolutely. Yes. So either reallocate it to something that you do have debt in or sock it away as if you're paying it right now to try to earn a little bit of interest and then start paying that off come, you know, September when that re-ups again. Whenever they figure that part out. Yeah. Yeah, Whenever that is. (laughs) Yeah. One of the biggest things too is emergency fund. So having a proper emergency fund set up. So Aaron, do you want to kind of go into that and what that should look like? Sure. I guess, you know, when you wind up looking at the financial planning rule of thumb, the the basics of that wind up saying somewhere between maybe three to six months of your family's expenses, you should be having in some sort of a emergency fund. It could be closer to three if you have two people who are working. It could be closer to six if you have one person that you're dependent on income for. But, you know, these days, as if there is more of a question mark as far as how secure your job is or is not, and you do feel more secure in having a a larger emergency fund, that might not be a bad idea. Um, Just prepare for if there is an oncoming recession and if there is some sort of job security that you're a little bit uh, daunted with, or at least you know that there are some extra expenses coming up or things of that sort, does not hurt coming into bad economic times to have a little bit of extra cash on hand. You know, if if you are cash flush, that is not a bad place to be if there are even opportunities that come up uh, that you would want to allocate cash to. So saving a little extra time for like some of those recessionary times is not a bad idea. 
And what's nice is that today with savings accounts, you're actually getting a yield on it. So if you wind up looking at some of these high yield uh, savings accounts, some of those are getting like three and a half, 3.7%. Yeah. Uh, So just sitting on cash is not a terrible idea if you just want to save it and save it for a rainy day. Exactly. Yeah. And I I love the idea of, especially when we're in volatile times and we just, there's a lot of unknowns, especially if it comes to recession or not, and your job having that 12 months worth just in your pocket, in your bank, um, in a savings account is going to make you feel so much better and, you know, alleviate some of the stress, God forbid something were to happen. So I guess now that we've kind of talked about like what what the the bank uh, does for us, you know, whether that be like, you know, the debts or the emergency funds now it's kind of, and that, that almost is kind of our version of self-insurance, or I guess, you know, what we have to kind of take care of as far as the risk to ourselves. But if there is some sort of catastrophic thing that happens to us, we want to lean on an insurance company to go ahead and take care of that risk. So some of the stuff that we have to, you know, kind of take a look at is, Annually, you wind up getting those uh, benefits. If you're still working, you have these benefits from work, just updating those and making sure that they're appropriate for what your situation is. You know, maybe you're eligible for an HSA or you're not eligible for an HSA. Are you making those contributions? You know, just kind of setting that up properly. Uh, And then looking at just outside of your work benefits, depending on when the last time it was that you reviewed even your life insurance, right? So if you're responsible for income coming into the family, you want to make sure that even if you're not there, that your family is going to be okay. So just make sure you have the right life insurance benefits, the right amount, uh, right amount first, and then maybe you look at how, like what kind, and then disability insurance. If you are a money printing machine because you are working, well, if you're injured or sick, you probably want that same amount of money coming in the door too. So that's pretty important. Absolutely. And I think it's important to know, especially when it comes to life insurance and having that proper coverage, the younger you get it and the healthier you are, you're never going to be as young and healthy as you are right now. So the sooner you can look into it, if you have future plans, like, you know, you're going to have kids in the future, or, you know, you know, that college expenses are going to be coming up or, just any sort of lost income, God forbid something were to happen, you know, to you, your spouse is fully taken care of and you don't have to worry about, you know, putting them in a bad spot because you don't have enough life insurance or same sure. disability insurance. If if you're worried about, you know, you're the money making machine and maybe you're double income, but both of you rely on each other's income, making sure that you're properly covered. God forbid something were to happen. Obviously, we never like to think about it, but it can happen. Nobody likes to think about it, but it's a necessary thing. This, Hopefully, it's the worst use of money you ever have. Exactly. Right? I hope you're all throwing it away at this point. I hope this is a terrible, terrible use of money. But you know, that that's another thing. You know, it's not just in your working years too. It could be, it could also be just be in your uh, retirement years because there could be a loss of social security income that you're looking for, or you still might have that, uh, that mortgage that's outstanding. Mm-hmm. So there is, there is sometimes that, you know, that need a lot of people say, well, I'm done working. I don't necessarily need the life insurance, but there are, there are reasons as to why you would want to carry some sort of coverage into retirement as well. So something to consider there. Leveraging up a legacy, if that's something that you're looking for for your kids. 
after we talk about the the disability and the life insurance, let's also talk about property and casualty insurance, right? So a lot of times people are looking at what what does my liability coverage look like? These days, you don't have to necessarily be a millionaire to be sued like one. So make sure you do have the proper liability coverage and just make sure it's appropriate for your net worth. You know, if you do have, you know, between the liability for your auto and your home, you know, if that isn't going to cover it, you know, it's not only just your assets, but your your income is an asset too that they could sue for. So, you know, look into getting the proper umbrella coverage on top of that. Not to mention the fact that one of the things that we we bring up with clients a lot is the dwelling coverage on your home. I don't know if you've seen, but we've had uh, the rising cost of uh, how we wind up building a home these days. And when you're looking at the dwelling coverage, it's really that rebuild cost of the home, not necessarily like the overall value of the home and the land and so on. And so it's that rebuild cost. And that rebuild cost is going to be dependent on how customized your home is too. So if you haven't looked at that in a few years, and all of a sudden there is some sort of catastrophe in your neighborhood and everyone's looking at the same five contractors, it's probably going to be pretty expensive for you. No, absolutely. The other day um, I was on my Nextdoor app and somebody had posted, they weren't looking or reviewing annually what their dwelling coverage should be or where it should be up to date. And they'd recently gotten it reviewed and they realized that their insurance was now going to be double the cost because inflation, since they bought their home, you know, so long ago. So it's something to just check and make sure that you have proper coverage each year so you don't get hit with a crazy bill later on. And I think, Aaron, one of the biggest things that we've been looking at now is that loss of use clause within it. (laughs) Right. Make sure just like on a personal experience, you know, that loss of use coverage, make sure that that's on the, you know, whether it be a homeowners or rental property, rental coverage that you have. Uh, Because if you are forced out of your home, it could take a while for those damages to be repaired. And if you don't have that type of coverage or enough coverage, the cost of being in another place is going to be coming out of your pocket. And that can be pretty expensive if you're looking at short-term rentals. So make sure that you do have that kind of coverage. I I can tell you from personal experience. Fortunately, I had it. Let's just say that. Maybe check Airbnb costs for, you know, monthly usage to try to accommodate what you think it might be. Those are not cheap. Thank goodness for insurance. (laughs) Oh, exactly. So yeah, very important. Just make sure everything's up to date when it comes to your protection. Um, Exactly. So investments, as far as looking into that in the beginning of the year, Aaron, what's top of mind? Well, so I guess as you were talking about reviewing benefits and so on, there have been different changes to the the laws as far as every single year they wind up increasing how much you can put into your retirement contributions, the new limits, there's new Roth options and so on with the Secure Act 2.0. But you can't necessarily make changes to how much you put in your 401k for last year, but you know you can look at what your income is for this year. And are you keeping up with the raises that you got or inflation? And maybe you can wind up increasing your contributions for 2023 that are going to make a little bit more sense for you. Can So you can take advantage of that and at least like understand what your limits are, right? And I guess if you're looking back towards 2022, you might still be able to make some sort of contributions, just understanding what the income limits are. Maybe it's making that contribution or opening up the Roth IRA or the regular IRA, depending on what your situation is. Or if you're a business owner, looking back and seeing if you can't do some sort of a SEP or, you know, it, just look at what your options are, if, especially if you're preparing for your taxes for uh, 2022. I guess April's coming up around the corner too. So if you can still make a contribution to, for 2022, great. And then if you're looking forward to 2023, plan that out and see how much you you can't save. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it also flows back to creating a budget because this is something where you could absolutely put it in your budget. Maybe you're increasing, you know, your 401k contributions, your Roth 401k contributions, or you're switching over from Roth to traditional because now you make too much and it doesn't make as much sense to contribute to a Roth um, tax-wise. So it is something that you should take into account for, make sure that you're updating and knowing what you're saving within all those different types of accounts. Or if you can increase the contributions. To or if you can increase accounts. the contribution, save a little bit more, right? <laughs> Absolutely. One of the biggest things too, I think that came out of a lot of this legislation was RMD age changing, right? So a lot of individuals who are expecting to take their RMD, if they turn 72 this year, surprise, surprise, you don't have to take an RMD because now you're starting at age 73. So anyone who turned 72 in 2023 does not have to start. Next year, you'll start in 2024. Yeah, you're going to be falling into that. So I've already had a couple of those conversations with clients who are expecting to have to take their first RMD this year. But now that they're postponing it, they're thinking, well, if I had to take that RMD already, well, I was kind of already planning for that. So maybe they did uh, a Roth conversion this year. They're planning on doing a Roth conversion. Or if they don't actually need the money, they can do some sort of qualified charitable distribution. So there's different ways that you can do that. You know, So uh, you know, take that into consideration as you look at if you happen to be turning 72 this year and you don't need to take your RMD. Yeah. Or even if you're younger, you just gained a whole nother year to start Roth conversions. Right. So <laughs> depending how on how young you are, they're even pushing that out till age 75, right? Very true. Yes. Yeah. Or in 1960 and after. So <laughs> yeah. So and then I guess the other part when we're talking about investments, you know, it is the beginning of the year. If you look at what investments it is that you have, is it the proper risk tolerance? Obviously we've had a lot of volatility in the market over recent times. And so you kind of have to look at your investments, your your 401k are you invested properly? Are you under allocated towards equities, depending on your age and what your risk tolerance is? Are you over allocated towards that kind of thing? So understand your risk tolerance, You know, do some sort of a risk survey to, to get some sort of an assessment on that, and then just rebalance your investments accordingly uh, and, and just make sure that it's proper for where it is that you're at in your, your retirement and or your working career. Yes, exactly. Knowing how long you have or your time horizon before retirement or before said goal, making sure that you're properly allocated when it comes to how much equity exposure or risk you're taking within those different accounts. I think one of the other biggest things is really looking at your estate and make sure that your estate plan is up to date. So Aaron, do you want to talk about beneficiaries and what you should be doing as far as that's concerned? Yeah, you know, when we look at beneficiaries on our accounts, you know, sometimes you may not have looked at that stuff in a number of years. So if it's that old 401k or that life insurance policy that you've had for a long time, deliberately go in and see who the beneficiaries are on that policy and see if it still winds up meeting the needs that you have right now. So, you know, the unfortunate thing would wind up being is that if there was some sort of a, you know, I've actually seen this where there was a divorce and they still had the name of the ex-spouse on the policy or the retirement account. And lo and behold, it had to actually go to that person because it was named and is like by contract, it goes there, right? Uh, You know, in the same respect, 
you know, sometimes you've created, you know, you might have like charitable intentions or you've created a trust or you've done some different things where it just in order for your estate to flow properly and uh, efficiently, it makes sense to go ahead and change the name of, you know, set accounts to, uh, you know, what maybe it's the trust or, you know, like individuals that you want to affect directly. So check out all those beneficiaries. And then I guess that kind of like dovetails into the second point would be, if you don't have a will and trust created or have done the proper estate planning for your situation, go meet with an attorney or, you know, do something where you're doing that for yourself and your family. So create updates, said will, trust, powers of attorney, the healthcare directives. These days, there's this fun thing called the <laughs> Rufata Act that basically covers all of your digital assets and, you know, all the, your Facebooks and Googles and Apple and like all those user agreements that you wind up having. Who has that after you pass? Right. Right. So there's a lot more stuff to consider these days, I guess. Yeah. And just going off of what you said, especially updating the trust and all the estate planning documents. I mean, we're working with a client that it was a second marriage. Her husband just passed away. And within his trust, it says that he's an unmarried man and she just lost pretty much everything. She didn't know that she was going to lose her social security and only get his um, she thought she was going to have both of them. So it is something to really properly plan for and make sure that especially your estate documents are up to order. So that way, you know, the proper people get what you want and what you intended to have them. Right. I, I, I joke about it all the time, but, you know, with the estate planning, you know, you have three choices of who you can give the money to. It's family, it's charities, and it's the IRS. <laughs> exactly. If we do it right. Maybe we're only giving money or as, as little as possible to the third choice, but we're really just kind of affecting the people that you love and, and the charities that you like. So, Precisely. Yeah. What are some of the other things that we should be aware of planning for 2023? Yeah, just a couple of things just to, to check off your list. Uh, take a look into Social Security and make sure that there is some accuracy on those projections that they have at least like accuracy i guess as far as your social security record because they'll they'll list out every single year that you know with your income and you know how that's affected your social security positive and negatively so check that out and if you've never done that before go ahead what is it social security ssa.gov yes and absolutely set that up as soon yeah. as possible if you can because <laughs> now they're not even sending out mailed statements anymore. So people are like, well, where have my statements gone? Well, that's because they're not sending they're it. They're not going to send it to you on your birthday anymore. You have to actually log in, create the profile and get in there. And that, that's always really helpful for us too, as we're trying to uh, project things for financial plans. Um, so very easy for us to, to help out with clients on that. The other part would be just checking your credit report. If that's one of those things that you have neglected and you don't necessarily know, well, that's going to help us out with how expensive our interest rates on any sort of like debts or loans are going to be. So make sure that that's accurate. If there is any discrepancies or if there's things outstanding on there that you need to have cleared up, that will certainly help. So at least once a year, check the credit report for some sort of accuracy with uh, with monitoring and making sure no one's taking out any sort of loans in your name and so on. So just check that out. Yeah. And every year you can get one completely for free. You don't have to worry about it affecting your credit or, you know, having to pay for it. You can get it free. Check it out. It is something that everyone should be doing at least once a year. And depending on what it is that you're doing too, I mean, I think it's just because using Mint and or some other things, you know, having access to Credit Karma, they're constantly monitoring to make sure that nothing nefarious is, is affecting yeah. your credit. Even big banks, they'll even have yeah. a little breakdown if you link everything. So you can sure. see exactly what's open and what's underneath your name. 
Other things to really make sure you get others involved. Obviously, people you trust. But I think one of the biggest things that Erin, you pointed out is, you know, if one spouse is primarily handling finances to make sure that the other is involved and knows what's going on, because the last thing you want is for you done all of the finances, all your life and all of your spouse's life, and then something happens and they don't know what to do. (laughs) Right. And you do see that fairly frequently, but, you know, at the same time, you need to make sure that everyone's aware of what's going on and you are taking the other person's needs and wants and goals into consideration as well. So it is nice to be able to incorporate both spouses into that financial plan, uh, just so that you know that everyone's knows their part in the family finances and won't be caught off guard if something does wind up happening to the spouse who is taking care of things primarily. Absolutely. Yeah. And what are some of the other people that we should be getting involved? You know, so as we wind up looking at some of our clients, if you are a younger client who has aging parents, there may be at some point in time, there may be some expenses that you know, or would understand would be coming up, or at least responsibilities that your parents might be signing you up for as an executor or as a trustee or a power of attorney or things of that sort. So I guess that goes both ways, right? So like just understanding and having that conversation with your parents on what their plan is going forward and if they have things set up. So, you know, as as we age and you wind up looking at, you know, needs for long-term care, that's a fairly expensive proposition right there. And so are those needs, or is, that, is there money set aside for that? Or are you as children going to have to help out with that kind of thing? Uh, going forward. As the parent who is aging, you know, looking at your estate plan and just kind of understanding, maybe you have some of that stuff taken care of or like what your plans are for if that long-term care event comes up. But just as well, if you've done your proper estate planning and you do have certain people named as executors or trustees or powers of attorney, some people don't necessarily understand what that all entails. So you want to make sure that you have the right people in place for that, or they're willing to take over those types of duties when their name is called. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a good conversation to have both ways. Like you as the parent who's going to be signing your kids up for that kind of stuff. And you as kids to be able to just kind of understand what the the parents wishes are going to be. Absolutely. Anything else? You know, I think we've done a pretty good job. And you know, if you've listened this long that you've gotten through this whole list, uh, I, I think it's given you a lot of things that you know, maybe certain things have hit home for you more than others. And at least it's given you a, a checklist of sorts of things for you to work on. So you don't have to do it all at once is what we're saying is that yeah. a lot of times when we're doing financial planning, we'll kind of run through the same similar kind of a checklist with people to just understand what it is that is the most important for the client to be working on. And then we just kind of set that checklist and here's how we wind up implementing that on an ongoing basis, right? Absolutely. And of course, reviewing that on a regular basis too. Yeah. And we'll go ahead and upload a little checklist of sorts so that way you guys have a copy of this. And if you wanted to go through all of this for setting up everything for 2023 properly, you'll have it at your fingertips. So. Exactly. So Crystal, how can people get a hold of you if uh, they have any questions? Yes. So if you wanted to reach me directly, you can reach me here at the office at, you can ask for Crystal Colbert. And the number here is 858-487-3939. Or you can email me at crystal.colbert at financialsense.com. Yes. And you can uh, reach me at the same phone number, the 858-487-3939. Or you can reach me at Aaron.Wiegman, that's W-I-E-G-M-A-N, 
at financialsense.com. Appreciate you joining us here today and we'll catch you next time. The Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the News Hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the Financial Sense staff and do not take into account listener suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any financial losses that result from investing in any companies mentioned in financial sense or arising out of the use of any material on the news hour. Please be advised that you invest at your own risk.